I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 28 through 44. And the title of this message is Triumph and Tears. This is not Palm Sunday, but it's a message about Palm Sunday. And the reason that I'm bringing a message about Palm Sunday is in preparation for the Passion Play. And I really do uh, hope that all of you will have the opportunity to be here for the Passion Play. Um, the Passion Play is, is one of the largest, if not the largest, event of our church calendar. It is a huge, huge thing. And um, we are privileged to have it three different times. I've already told you, Friday night at 7 o'clock, Saturday night at 6 o'clock, and then Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And uh, a building that is <clears throat> normally, <clears throat> nor ever has been full on a regular basis is full uh, Friday night and Saturday night, and it is uh, pretty full on Sunday, and uh, even when people are going to their own churches. Uh, we have tickets back there, Larry, yes or no? Yes, we have tickets back there. I would encourage you to go by the information booth and get tickets uh, for the night that you would like to come and get tickets for someone that you would like to bring uh, with you. Today I want to share with you the heart of Jesus as he approached his appointment with the cross. So, I will not be preaching next Sunday morning, which is Passion Play Sunday. We'll have the Passion Play, but I'd like for you to project yourself to next Sunday and to think about the um, triumphal entry of Jesus Christ uh, into Jerusalem. Our text is indeed about that, uh, the beginning of his week of Passion. In Matthew, Mark, and John, the crowd were quoted as crying out, Hosanna, which means save us or save us, we pray. And we know that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. However, that is not what the crowds were asking for. They wanted to be saved from their circumstances, not from their sin. Jesus came to save us from our sin. He came to seek and to save that which was lost but they were waiting for another kind of salvation. They wanted to be saved from the oppression of Roman rule. They had been saved uh, from the oppression of the Egyptian bondage. They had been saved from the Philistines. They had been saved from the Babylonians. And now, under the rule of Rome, they wanted to be saved from Rome. They did not want Rome to rule over them any longer. And so they were looking for a deliverer. They were not looking for a redeemer. And it's with this understanding that we come to our text in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You will say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now, let's talk about the traditional calendar of events 
during the Passion Week. It's always interesting to me <clears throat> to get a frame of reference as to when certain things took place. It's very interesting on Passion Week. Now, <clears throat> what we've just read was on a Sunday. Let's say it was next Sunday, and it will be as we are celebrating <clears throat> the uh, triumphal entries. We begin uh, the Easter week, and we celebrate <clears throat> the in the Passion Place. So the Sunday is the entry into Jerusalem. On Monday, Jesus cleansed the temple. You remember when Jesus went into the temple and he <clears throat> drove the money changers out, and he said, my house shall be known as a house of prayer. That was on Monday of the week <clears throat> of Jesus' crucifixion. On Tuesday, he entered into a controversial uh, situation with some Jewish <clears throat> leaders on Tuesday. On Wednesday, he actually rested. Then on Thursday, he had what we call the Last Supper. We observed it, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, and, and it's a communion <clears throat> service, and Jesus had his Last Supper. And then on Friday is the trial and the crucifixion. Saturday, Jesus rests in the tomb, and Sunday, <clears throat> or <clears throat> it was the third day, <clears throat> Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, we begin our text by looking at the travel of Jesus. Jesus is coming now into <clears throat> Jerusalem during the uh, what we call the triumphal entry. Some people make the Bible very hard to understand, and <clears throat> the Bible is hard to understand if you make it hard to understand. If you believe that the Bible says what it means and means what it says, then the Bible is very easy to understand. God never wrote the Bible <clears throat> for scholars. He never wrote the Bible. You don't have to have a, a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD. You do not have to have a seminary degree in order to understand the Bible. <clears throat> the Bible was not written for seminarians. The Bible was written for simple people, simple people like me and simple people <clears throat> like you. Now, it does require that we pay attention. And so God has made all of his work a simple understanding if we would just simply understand it. You'll recall this from 1 Corinthians 1, 21, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak <clears throat> in the world, excuse me, <clears throat> to shame the strong. And our text is a good example of that. It's a very simple understanding of what happened. The beginning of the final week of Jesus is spent with Jesus fulfilling prophecy. Now, this is a very interesting thing. <clears throat> uh, earlier, we sang, Behold, He Comes. And uh, it's a wonderful song, and it's talking about the prophetic return of Jesus Christ. If you're not a, <clears throat> a student or a, uh, a connoisseur, if you will, of prophecy, please understand this that all of the Old Testament prophecy that was fulfilled in the New Testament was fulfilled literally. <clears throat> and all of the New Testament prophecy to be fulfilled will be fulfilled <clears throat> literally. And Jesus is simply fulfilling prophecy as He enters into Jerusalem. Jesus is now in the proximity <clears throat> of the setting for His crucifixion. Let me tell you where Jesus is. Uh, during the time where he sent his disciples. Jesus is in uh, the place where he went to pray. You remember where he said to his disciples, can you not uh, bear with me? Can you not <clears throat> watch that you not enter into temptation? And, and Jesus went uh, to a solitude place and prayed. That was in <clears throat> what we refer to as the Garden of Gethsemane. That was on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives 
is just across a valley. Actually, today, as I'm looking at it, it's across a valley and a road that is at the bottom of the valley across from the walls of Jerusalem. And what you're looking at there is the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And Jesus is praying now, or getting ready to pray, and he's looking across the valley at the uh, eastern gate. Now, if what they say in Jerusalem is correct, this, there's a, and, and I've been there, I've seen the road, there is a little walking road, not really a driving road anymore, but a walking road through the Garden of Gethsemane down the Mount of Olives. And as Jesus was praying there, he heard the soldiers coming after him. He heard with his ear the soldiers coming after him as Jesus was praying. Now, I, I get the, this picture, if you will, if you'll allow me. <clears throat> I get Jesus kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. I get him uh, having his face perhaps bowed away from the city, although he could have been bowing toward uh, the city of Jerusalem. And he's right across from that very scene right there, the eastern gate. Now, that gate is sealed up, and uh, it wasn't sealed on that day. It was an entry to the city of Jerusalem, and people went in and came out through that uh, entrance in Jerusalem. So, here's Jesus. He is praying. I want you to think about this. And he hears over his shoulders. Now, this we're, we're past the scene that we're at now. We'll come back to this. He hears over his shoulders the soldiers coming with Judas to, be, to betray him. Now, <clears throat> this is approximately the location of where Jesus was when he asked the disciples to go get uh, this colt <clears throat> and to bring this colt to him. Jesus knows that the gates are waiting for him. He knows that in the future the gates will be sealed, yet he knows that the gates will open again, and when he comes the second time, he will enter <clears throat> through those gates. All of this is the fulfilling of prophecy. All of this is the literal fulfillment of prophecy in detail. <clears throat> what we've just read, you see and understand regarding the cult. I want you to look now at Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. <clears throat> Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the foal <clears throat> of a donkey. And so, this is prophecy being fulfilled. And so he sends two of his disciples into the city to find <clears throat> what he knew would be waiting for them there. It was a very simple mission, but one that was vital in the fulfilling of the prophecy of God. Please don't think that God forgets about his prophecy. Please don't think <clears throat> that God makes a promise and then it slips his mind and he said, oh me, I forgot <clears throat> to do that. That is not who God is. He made a prophecy in Zechariah and it is <clears throat> being fulfilled here. Now on this simple mission, these <clears throat> two disciples were to offer a humble request. All they were to say was the Lord has need of it. That's all they had to say. Now, there was a, bright, <clears throat> a broader message behind the words of Jesus. Matthew's gospel records that the colt's mother, <clears throat> the donkey, also accompanied the disciples, but it was the colt that was desired. It was the colt <clears throat> that was wanted. And verse 32 says, it was a colt on which no one had ever sat. No person had ever <clears throat> been 
on this colt, had been on this donkey. Now I want you to think of the progression of this. Jesus is born of a virgin. Jesus would ride on a donkey which no one had ever ridden. And Jesus would be buried in a tomb where no one had ever been buried. All that Jesus accomplished and all that he did was groundbreaking, was fresh, was not just life-changing, but eternally uh, changing. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. And he did not have the taint of man's sin on him until he wore uh, our crown, as uh, we just heard uh, Mike Parker uh, talk about. And when he wore our crown, uh, it was our sin that he was paying for. It was such a, a powerful week, fulfilling prophecy and a humble request. And it all started with a very simple beginning. And so it was that on his last Sunday as mortal man, Jesus sat upon a donkey that was covered with garments, and he entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. Now, as the colt moved toward the city, the crowds began to gather. And they began to throw their coats down so that <coughs> the donkey <coughs> could walk on, on their coats and, as he entered the city of Jerusalem. That was his travel. Now let's take a look at his triumph. Cut me for just a second here, bud. <coughs> for those of you who are here Wednesday night, <coughs> and I lovingly uh, <coughs> talked to Daniel about the pollen report. He didn't have a report Uh, to give me. By the time I got home uh, on my smartphone, there was was a pollen report for Tallahassee. So I want you to know we're still in it. Uh, I could have given you that just by uh, the coughing. But anyway, what is his triumph? Well, then back to our text in Luke 19. Now we go to verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, that's what I talked about earlier, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, (coughs) Teacher, (coughs) rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. First of all, you see in this triumphal entry, the crowd. Uh, The crowd was a massive, chaotic crowd. It was a really large crowd. The first and only time in his earthly ministry that Jesus allowed a public demonstration. He never allowed a public demonstration at other times. You remember when he would do a miracle and people get excited about it? He'd say, don't tell anybody about this. You just go on this way. Let me go that way. Let's not make a big thing of this. And, <clears throat> and he would go this way or go that way. And, but this time, <clears throat> he allows the celebration. This time, he allows uh, the triumphal entry. This time, he allows it to be, if you will, and I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, <clears throat> but he allows it to be a big deal, a big thing. Jesus knew that this same crowd that would cheer him would very soon, in a matter of days, call for his crucifixion. The same crowd. Now, he knew this. He's God. And he knew that as he went in, and he knew as they laid their cloaks, he knew that they were sincere about what they were saying, but they weren't saying what he was coming to do. 
and they were <clears throat> sincere about offering praise, but their motive was different than his motive. And he knew <clears throat> that in a matter of days that they were going to change on him. And he stated, <clears throat> as stated, they wanted to deliver from Rome. They wanted to be delivered from their circumstance, not redeemed <clears throat> from their sins. Huge difference there. Big, big difference there. So in his triumph, we see the crowd. And in this triumph, we hear <clears throat> the cry of the crowd. In Matthew 21, 9, it says in the crowds that went <clears throat> before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mark chapter 11 and verse 9. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In John 12 and verse 13. And they <clears throat> took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, <clears throat> even the king of Israel. They were yelling out, save us, save us, Hosanna, save us, we pray, save us. The question that was uh, being asked is, from what? From Rome, save us from Rome. Our God has delivered us from uh, Egypt, our God has delivered us from the Philistines, our God has delivered us from the Babylonians. Now, you have been sent and <clears throat> save us, we pray, from these Romans. They knew of Moses and they knew of Joshua and they knew of David and others who had saved them from bondage. And now Jesus was the latest gift from God to the people of Israel to save them from their bondage, but not their sin. Israel would be restored and no one would rule over them, but the God of Abraham is what they wanted. They completely, <clears throat> completely misunderstood the, the reason for Jesus' coming. He would indeed save them if they would receive his salvation. He would indeed be their Messiah if they allowed him to be their Messiah. But that is not the salvation that they were looking for as evidenced a few days later when they rejected him and called out, crucify him, crucify him. And while the, the masses of Jews misunderstood, the legal leaders of the Jews were once again skeptical, skeptical because they knew that there really could be an acceptance of him as Messiah. Jesus knew that it wasn't going to happen, but the leaders of, of Israel thought otherwise. Thus, <clears throat> the criticism found in verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Well, that's, that to me, that's a huge statement. That's just so big. All of us have been in this town. <clears throat> We've all been to a Florida State football game or you've been to a, a Florida Gators football game or something. If you go to a Florida State football game, and, uh, and, and it's been a big day. You can hear <clears throat> that chant in your head uh, for the rest of the afternoon or the rest of the evening. It gets stuck in there and it keeps going on and on and over and over. <clears throat> Even better than that, Jesus said, let me tell you, if these people did not praise me, the stones would praise me. You would hear the stones praise me. You would hear <clears throat> the very rocks cry out. The Pharisees 
knew that something was unique about Jesus. <clears throat> they knew that the, the praise being offered to Jesus was praise that was reserved for the Messiah. They didn't know that he would be rejected by his own, <clears throat> but <clears throat> they knew that there was an issue. Psalm 118, 26 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you <clears throat> from the house of the Lord. Those Pharisees knew that verse. They wanted to get this stopped. And Jesus tells them, <clears throat> you can't stop the praise. Jesus knew that they wouldn't make him Messiah, but he also knew <clears throat> that there would be praise. He knew that this was a step along the way. This wasn't the, the destination. <clears throat> this was on the way to the destination. This was, in fact, just a few days away from his destination of sacrificing himself for our sin. And from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden to the times of Christ, it had all been pointing <clears throat> toward the day <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> toward the day to come, the time of the Gentiles, the time of the cross. I'm trying to set a scene for you today. I'm trying to get you where you really understand and appreciate the Easter season and not just Easter Sunday. I'm trying to get you to see that Jesus had lived his 33 years of life and he came <clears throat> to this last Sunday, which will be represented by next Sunday at Palm Sunday. He came to this last Sunday, and he knew what this last week would hold for him. And he knew <clears throat> that it would begin with praise, and it would uh, somewhere along the way uh, end with crucifixion or actually end with <clears throat> resurrection. And Jesus knew all of this. We see his travel, and we see his triumph, and finally <clears throat> we see his tears. In the text, in the next few verses, Jesus shows disappointment. <clears throat> Jesus shows heartbreak. Now, was it because of the cross ahead? I, I want to say this to you. I don't think Jesus dreaded anything about the cross except that he would become the one thing that was repugnant to the Father and to himself. He would become sin for us. Now, when you see the passion play, <clears throat> you will imagine the pain of the cross. As you see the one who plays Jesus be scourged and the one who plays Jesus nailed to the cross and put up there, <clears throat> you'll feel the emotion of it. You'll cry. You'll cry as he is taken from the cross and his mother cries at the foot of the cross. You'll cry as he is taken to the tomb. But I want you to understand something. All of that, all that makes us moved with emotion is minuscule compared to the one thing that moved him. And that which moved him was that he was about to become sin for us. And what moved him on this day was because of the sin of the people. And he realized that something was about to happen. And he realized that the people who had a great opportunity, his own people, would now reject him in Luke chapter 19 and 41. And when the Lord <clears throat> drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you even had known on this day the things that make for peace. Or <clears throat> but now they are hidden from your eyes, talking to Jerusalem uh, and talking to the people of Jerusalem. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and, and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will <clears throat> not leave one stone upon another uh, in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is a very moving passage. I, I didn't read it in a moving way, but Jesus is crying as he's saying these words. You ever said something crying as you were saying them? Saying the words that you said? Jesus was crying. He was moved to tears. He was crying through the words that he was saying. 
And he said, you just don't know what an opportunity you had. <clears throat> you, don't, you don't know that, that there was a salvation that was better than the one you were asking for. Not a salvation from circumstances, but a salvation <clears throat> from your sin. And this shows us the humanity of Christ. In this same setting, he states his knowledge of the future of Israel, and he weeps over the hardness of the people. He weeps over his own chosen people. It was the God Christ Jesus who would be raised from the dead, but it was the man Christ Jesus who would weep over Israel. This is one of the most powerful aspects of Jesus, that he was fully God and that he was fully man. Jesus, when you think of him and you say, well, was he half God and half man? Oh, no, please don't think that. Well, was he God or was he man? He was both, and he was fully both. You say, well, I don't understand how he could be fully God and fully man. That's what's so magnificent about our God. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. I'll just be real honest with you. I don't want a God that I can understand. I want a God that I can worship. I don't want a God that I can figure out. I want a God that can do miracles. I don't want a God that seems reasonable to me. I want a God who seems majestic to me. This is the God, uh, uh, Christ Jesus. And the one who wept is the man, Christ Jesus. The reason he wept, we see it in John 1.11. He came into his own and his own received him not. We'll see that in just a moment. So first of all, we see that this was the man Christ Jesus who was weeping. Now, why was he weeping? Very quickly, he was weeping over lost people. He wept for the opportunity that was lost by his very own people. What they could have seen, they did not see. They just didn't see it. You remember those pictures that were popular several years ago, and they looked like just a big big pixelated thing of colors and and whatever, and you walk by it and look at it and just keep on walking, except some people stopped and they just looked for a while. And as they looked, they saw something emerge out of the picture. Do you remember those pictures? I don't know what they're called, but but they, they, those things began to emerge out of the picture, and you could see either animals or automobiles or <clears throat> whatever it would be. Well, it's kind of that way with, with the people of Israel. Uh, the people of Israel had in front of them the very answer to eternity, but they couldn't see it. And they stood there, and they looked and looked, <clears throat> but they could not see it. They were lost, and they would not be saved. They were lost, and they would not see it. The answer was in front of them, but they would not and could not see it. Not only were his tears over a a lost people, but over a love that he had lost. Jesus saw that the, the temple had become a den of thieves, and the religious leaders were out to kill him. And the city <clears throat> was filled with, with pilgrims, but the hearts of the people were heavy with sin and life's burdens. And as Jesus looked on this terrible thing, he realized <clears throat> that in a, <clears throat> a very short time, they would indeed uh, be captivated uh, by the Romans again. But as for him, <clears throat> he was heartbroken because they had, he, they had lost their love for him, and they had lost his presence. As I said earlier, the Bible says he came into his own, and his own received him not. For Israel, this was a a lost uh, people and a lost love who faced a lost opportunity. 
they'd wasted their opportunity. They were willingly ignorant of the time of Jesus, of the time of his visitation. They were willingly ignorant. And and let me say this to you. And and I'm going to say this very clearly. There will be no excuse for those who are willingly ignorant of the gospel. There is no excuse. You know, you are stewards of the gospel. You know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You know that Jesus can save you from your sin. You know that he was buried and rose again the third day. And, And listen to me, and I say this lovingly to you, but listen very carefully to me. If you die knowing those things without having applied them to your life by salvation, by being born again, please understand this. You will not go to heaven for eternity, and there is no other choice other than hell for an eternity. You say, well, Pastor Ray, that's a very stern thing to say. Well, listen to me. Jesus, the Son of God, was born of a virgin, came to this earth, lived as a man, sinless, 100% sinless, lived for 33 years. And I'm just painting to you a picture of a little slice of one day when he came into his own and his own would not receive him. I'm just here to tell you that he came to be, to give us salvation from our sin. And if we don't receive salvation from our sin, we are willingly ignorant. We are willingly paying the the price ourselves. They lost their opportunity, their days of opportunity. As we approach the week of passion, I want us to consider our opportunity. For those who know Jesus Christ and Savior, this is an opportunity to worship Him in in His uh, power and and be in awe of His power and love. Imagine that the Son of God would come down from his glory and become a man and and do so that we would be saved from our sin. Not just sin that creeped upon us, but sin that we choose. You chose sin yesterday. You chose it the day before. So did I. We choose it every day. We make sin our choice. Yet Jesus Christ died on the cross that he might cleanse us from that willful choosing sin. He died on the cross for our sin. This is more than about a a week of emotion. This is about devotion. The Jews had emotion and and as they laid their outer garments, but they had no devotion. Are you devoted to him? Are you devoted to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? This morning, if you do not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you do not know for 100% sure that if you died today that you'd go to heaven, if you do not know for absolute certain sure today, I ask you to invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life and to be your Savior. You say, well, I plan to do that, but right now I've got too many other circumstances going on. It's not the circumstances, it's the sin. Nobody ever goes to hell because of their circumstances. It's just because of our sin. And I plead with you today to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior if you do not know for certain that you're on your way to heaven.
when I was a boy. <clears throat> they would give back then what we called an altar call. We call it an invitation. <clears throat> but they would give an altar call. And I remember there was one song <clears throat> that they used to sing. It, it would play in my mind and head and I would hear it over and over again. They would sing, pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by, Savior. Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Don't let Jesus pass by you today. Receive him as your Savior.